0: of the everyday world, and take a journey into the Mystical Underground.
1: Welcome to the Mystical Underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob McGregor and Trish McGregor and our tech magician, John Posey. You can go to our website, phenomena111.com, to find out about our nonfiction books including the most recent one, Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities. And you can visit our blog at blog.synchrosecrets, where we make regular posts.
2: Our guest today is Deborah Page, who for the, last, uh, for the past 11 years has been the case manager for Pacific Paranormal Investigations. Deborah's interest in the paranormal, ter- paranormal der- derives from her edu- uh, university education in Jungian psychology, parapsychology, and the nature of mind. She is a field investigator. She was a field investigator in UFO-related phenomena in Berkeley in the early 1990s. She is also a retail bookseller in the field of metaphysics, mysticism, and religions. And she has studied with Purna Das Baul and the Bowels of Bengal a gypsy min- minstrel lineage of Sufi, tantric, Vaishnavism, which predates the 12th century. She also has been a, a student of Venerable Lama Gayetso of the Tibetan Naigma Ny- order. All of this academic and real-world experience makes Deborah grounded and logical, as well as a capable and compassionate case manager. Welcome, Deborah. Okay, Deborah, we Thank got you. a lot of questions
1: for you. <laughs> All righty. <laughs> okay, uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about your work as a paranormal investigator.
3: Um, that broad- started because in 2000, oh, I don't even remember the year. They um, Pacific Paranormal Investigations came to our home to do an investigation, and they had um, some unusual things occur, um, and while they were uh, interviewing me, they just spontaneously said, you know, you're so knowledgeable. Would you like to join our group?
1: Hmm. And
3: uh, yeah, and I'm the only person they ever did that with. And that was uh, the way it's been. Um, I became a part of their group from that point on. And um, we're like, a, you know, those, the three main guys that started this are my, like my brothers and were very close friends. And and what kind of stuff do you investigate?
1: Like hauntings or spirit?
3: Haunting. Hauntings?
1: Yeah. Uh, or people
3: who think their homes are haunted.
1: Uh-huh, yeah. Usually if they're, they think their homes are haunted, it's probably not a good thing, right?
3: <laughs> well, no, a lot of them are very afraid, and our priority, of course, is homes with children. Mm-hmm. Okay, And okay, we don't
1: charge them. You still
3: what? We don't charge any money. Wow. Okay.
2: So, Deborah, how does your studies uh, of the works of uh, Carl Jung fit in with your experiences with the paranormal
3: and your
1: encounters? (laughs) Jung the mystic. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs)
3: Yeah, Jung was, yeah. Well, he wrote a book on flying saucers, um, Mm
1: -hmm.
3: and he also was, uh, he had his own psychic phenomena occur, and that's what uh, precipitated his uh, break with Freud.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: right. so he documented everything extensively in in a book called The Red Book. Yes, and, um, I love that book. Yeah, and it, Yeah. I have a copy. They actually vaulted to that for 50 years. They didn't want the public to know. They right. thought it would ruin his But anyway, his perspective is that... Um, There's a lot of information trying to break through to humanity. And because we don't have a language for it or a picture for it, it comes in forms we don't understand. Mm -hmm. And it's terrifying to us because we're facing the unknown.
4: Mm -hmm. Hmm.
3: Yeah, the Red Book, Rob gave me that for Christmas
1: one year. And I, I was fascinated. I mean, it reads, initially it reads like a work of madness you know mm-hmm. where he's just he so many things came up for him and so much material just exploded through his his un, you know from his unconscious but it's really a fascinating exactly. book and he's had he somebody... called it
3: uh, dark night of the soul basically right. or the night journey yeah. yeah
2: and some of his stories that he told like ghost related with like a whole troop of uh, ghosts uh, just coming right through where he was living there
1: on the yeah, it was lake. the it was the seven sermons I think it was the, the seven sermons, Deborah. You know when the uh, yeah
3: seven he, sermons to the dead.
1: Right. Yeah. Okay. To the dead. Yeah. That started with uh, he was in his in his home and he said you could just feel the presence of all these things. And Then apparently there were some knockings at the door and somebody ringing the doorbell, and that's how the whole thing started.
3: And yeah, what and uh, items in his home would spontaneously right. just break. Yeah, right. yeah,
2: a lot of experiences.
3: So, and then, and that's been kind of a parallel with what's happened in my life. And my daughter jokingly tells, like her her new fiance, um, she said, you know, once you get involved with my family, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna experience <laughs> some very weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. And nice he, introduction. Yeah. Yeah, he has. So, okay.
2: hmm. so you, you've had numerous alien uh, abduction experiences in your life. Uh, when did they begin? What was the first experience that you can remember?
3: My first uh, hint of the fact that they were in my life was when I was 14, and my grandfather sat me down and told me he literally saw a ship landing in the field between my home and his home. We lived on the St. Lawrence River in upstate New York. And um, it was, uh, it really upset me. And he told me not to share it with family because it it brought terror to him. He Mm. didn't say that he interacted with the beings. And um, to me, I was just like, oh, these things do happen. In in my mind, I just had that feeling. And then I started having um, sequences of dreams and then, as I got older, they became more vivid, and then the experiences that were considered traditional experiences started happening before they were really written about in the media. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, you had an experience you told us about uh, after you'd another, gone to a
1: rock concert. No, not that one. I'm, I'm thinking that.
2: of the one where she had a heat. You had actually had a healing from the beings uh, with your knees. Uh, how did that come about?
3: Um. I was uh, in the North Bay when I was working at Berkeley, but also I was, my job was a corporate bookkeeper and my work at Berkeley was uh, with the research and UFO was a, a volunteer job that I had taken. But anyway, um, what happened was I uh, had a vivid dream and I you know, woke up lucid and it appeared I was on an operating table. And, you know, what was considered the traditional grays um, were all around me, and they had worked on my knee. I could see that they had, and um, it was all better. I had had problems with that knee. I had climbed a lot of stairs at the lighthouse where our office was, and it was painful. And then... um, When I looked at the knee and I realized they had healed it, I said why can't you heal my autoimmune disorders? And they said we can't because it's karmic. Hmm. The irony is is later when I met my lama, Lama Gyatso, I said can the Tibetan medicine heal my immune system? And he said no, it's karmic. Oh wow, (laughs)
1: that's interesting.
3: Well now explain what was wrong with your knees.
1: Was it arthritis? Was it
3: I do have uh, rheumatoid arthritis, only at the time I was uh, in my late 20s, and it wasn't something they considered, you know, as what was Mm -hmm. happening to me, so they didn't have an answer, but now, you know, now we know that I have it. Mm -hmm. Well, so you say you
1: you could feel that they had healed your knee. I mean, was there any visible thing on the outside of your knee? Were there any scars or incisions there or anything was, like that?
3: there was for a short time there was um like red marks on either side of the kneecap and mm-hmm. um like they had done something under the kneecap but um that faded and the scars went away oh. and that knee's still okay um yeah it's okay yes it, it, i mean it would be much worse i mean <laughs> <laughs> as you know as you age you know how it is right <laughs> yes uh, okay
2: i have the knee issues that <laughs> uh, I've been waiting for the yeah <laughs> I haven't had any success in that area yet for a healing. So um, do you think these alien encounters with you is related to the origins of your autoimmune disorders or not, you know? Um,
3: no, I, I, I was in a, a major outbreak area. They don't know the cause, but I will say that the St. Lawrence River had four factories dumping into it. Mm. Um, I've done a lot of research um, there, You know, I was exposed to a lot of heavy metals because it was a Alcoa, Reynolds and mm-hmm. GM and, and a starch factory and they were all dumping in the river at the time
4: uh-huh. so, God. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
3: and the other thing was it was a major Lyme disease outbreak in the beginning mm. area so there's so many factors we cannot figure it out and consequently I'm sitting here right now with 11 Autoimmune disorders.
2: God. So, were you drinking well water at that time uh, when you were living yes. there?
3: Yes, okay. we all had well water.
4: Yeah. I mean, wow.
3: We lived on the water and it flooded our house every year. Hmm. Yeah.
1: So, it's kind of like what happened in Flint,
3: Michigan. Well, it's never tested, but that's mm-hmm. true. And my grandparents, who lived next door across the field, um, they had sulfur water. Uh, Flint, I think, it was,
2: lead yeah. Yeah, Flint yeah, was lead poison. Right. Yeah, Flint was lead poison.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah.
2: So you're not even you're you're calling in on the phone, and uh, we asked if you wanted to uh, Skype first, uh, <coughs> and you said you actually cannot go on a computer. Uh can you explain that? Is that what?
3: Is that yeah, that that part of your alien so
1: weirdness, Deborah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, let's put it this way. Uh, I was um, electrocuted to the back of the head with 360 household volts. And um, when they did uh, blood tests on me after that incident, I was having seizures all the time. It was terrible. Um, I had a high, high copper content in my bloodstream. So I, as far as they could determine, I was probably somewhat conductive <laughs> and wow. the electricity from the back of the left side of my skull burned out the inside of my ear I have no eardrum it burned my eyes um I'm blind Jeez. partially blind and it went down the left side of my body and out my foot and, it's, just from uh, a
2: light- it's just from a lightning strike or
3: no it was a household current um the water Jeez. and the um electrical conduits had started leaking together. The condos we lived in were built in 1960 by the chargers organization, the football team. Mm -hmm. And it was some historical. And um, unfortunately it wasn't well planned nor planned to be there that long. And so there was this problem with the water and the electrical mixing. And I happened Mm -hmm. to be at the end of the building and the electricians had ungrounded the building. And so the current, right, I was near the junction box, and the current went right into my head. Oh, my
1: God. <laughs> and grounded huh. my
3: body. I wasn't supposed to survive. Um, I There's so many reasons why I shouldn't be here, but I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Boy,
2: but but ce- cell phones are okay for you?
3: Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes, like, let's say I had a seizure. I it's best for me to stay away for a while. Um, Mm -hmm. It can be painful at times. Um, The the injury site will heat up. Mm -hmm. Now, did this happen when you were married to Larry? Yeah, it happened in 2012. Consequently, we lost our home. I could never be back in that home or on the grounds because Mm -hmm. they couldn't repair it. Yeah. Wow. We didn't, like the bank, Bank of America was generous and just took the home back and put paid as agreed on our loan.
1: Huh. huh.
3: Well, did they, they later it? sell it? They sold it. They we paid 240,000 for it. Uh they sold it the bank for 70,000 because the uh homeowners association refused to repair it. Jeez. And that, Yeah, that was their way of kind of <laughs> Paying them back.
1: God. Well, you, could could you have sued?
3: No. Um, we we talked to eleven different lawyers. They said you cannot take on the electrical industry in this country. Mm. Other countries, yeah, but not this country.
2: Right. Hmm. So one of the. Most fascinating stories you've told us about deals with a pregnancy when you're 18 years old and what happened about that. Can you tell us that story? Well, that's a, such a bizarre
3: story. It is. It's so bizarre. I consider it high strangeness. Definitely. Um, right. I was in college, or actually actually, university, Potsdam, and you know, State University in New York, mm-hmm. and um, I. Uh, was told by the doctor that he suspected I was pregnant. But the, the odd thing was I had had three surgeries when I was a teenager, and they told me I would never be able to have children. Mm. And um, so I was kind of surprised. And um, he did a blood test, and it came back positive. And then he did an exam, and he told me I was approximately two months pregnant. Mm-hmm. And um, we didn't have a lot of medical care up in that area, so... We would often go to Burlington, Vermont. And so um, my boyfriend, a friend, and I decided to uh, drive to Bur- Burlington. I made an appointment at a women's clinic to um, deal with, you know, talking about the pregnancy and going forward how, how I was going to handle this issue. And on the way to Burlington, um, I remember we went past the Denimora. We always drove the back roads because we mm-hmm. were country people, you know, we loved the mountains and the whole mm-hmm. thing. Right. And Yeah, we went past Denimora, which is now what, Bill Clinton something something facility, and um, yeah, um, and mean, then the, there was the, the, pri- the prison there. The, you
1: yeah,
3: mean, the prison. It was a mental health, health wasn't it a mental it health a, place?
1: Prison,
4: I
3: think. It was actually a prison. Yeah. Okay,
1: it was a prison. Okay.
3: Yeah, Um, and, and, yeah, so um, we hit this, like, really heavy fog bank, and we couldn't see, so uh, we looked for a place to pull off the road, you know, we had to go very slowly, and there was, like, this little dirt grade down into a parking area, and we went down it, and there was, like, this barn that had been remade into or repurposed into some kind of, um, saloon or something. And so we went in there to take a break to see if the fog would lift. And there was this, uh, little old lady and a little old man. And there were all these artifacts on the wall from different time periods, hmm. you know, like, like old farming tools and photographs. Uh-huh. And it mm-hmm. was very, uh, it was done very well. It was just unusual and um, we all ordered um, soda, meal because mm-hmm. we were and there, um,
2: were there other people there? No. Other, no. OK. You
3: we were the only three. And okay. um, what I remember, the drink they gave me was extremely sweet. It wasn't it wasn't what I ordered. It was just syrupy sweet. I do remember that.
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: then none of us have a memory after. That. And the next thing we knew, we were at the ferry to go across Lake Champlain.
2: Mm, so how far is that from Denimora to that to, to that ferry about what, I don't even driving? know. It's, yeah.
3: it's, it's been so long. Um okay. We have no have idea. Yeah, how how we got there. And so we got on the ferry and I went to the clinic and it was, I made it in time for my appointment. And, um, you know, it was women helping women basically. And so she, the, the nurse practitioner, uh, examined me and she said, um, you know, this is not a pregnant uterus.
1: This is not what?
3: A pregnant uterus. That's mm. how she put it.
1: Mm.
3: So here I went from a positive Pregnancy blood test and a positive exam to suddenly uh, a uterus Not that has pregnant. never been pregnant. Right. Hmm.
1: And yeah, you freaked out. I, I
3: freaked. I freaked out. They gave me a valium because I was hysterical. Oh. I couldn't. I didn't. You know, my mind couldn't understand what had happened.
2: And you had. The last thing you had remembered before you got to that ferry was being in that uh, that strange little
1: yeah, and drinking uh, this barn this
2: and drinking that. drink. Uh, and right. you you had arrived early, didn't uh, you? Plan this trip to was, arrive early in uh, Vermont, and uh, so you had some. Well, time? our
3: point was yeah, we were going to spend the whole day in Vermont, in mm-hmm. Burlington, because it was such a beautiful. At the time, it was more like a town. And um, we loved it there. So we had every intention of spending a whole afternoon there, but we we got there just in time for my appointment. So some amount of time was missing. Mm -hmm. And um, when we went back on the way back, we went to the spot where we had been. And um, you turned off on that same road. It was just a little downhill grade into a parking area. It didn't exist.
1: Huh? So the we bar looked, was gone. I mean,
3: we—it was gone. It didn't exist, and uh-huh. all three of us by then were like, "What the heck?" You know, what what happened? And we never spoke about it after that. Mm-hmm. It was just like nothing. We wouldn't talk about it. it's
2: oh.
1: really strange. And just
3: thinking about it gives me you know makes <laughs> it makes me nervous.
1: So well, also, didn't one of your abductions involve being taken to a nursery? On a ship? Yes.
3: Yes. And and you have to understand that at the time, I took everything literally. So mm-hmm. these were literal things, you know. And there, there, were, there were these very sick babies. And um, they gave me one and said it was mine. And mm-hmm. I was holding it and I was weeping. Because the poor thing, I knew it wouldn't live. Mm-hmm. Um, well, where were they? Nothing. Were they? It was... I would say, I was on a ship. I don't yeah. know how to. I mean, was it like it. a
1: nursery or what?
3: It was a nursery full of these poor children. It wasn't mm. all my children, but yeah. um, they were—they were, they like were hy- not okay.
2: Is that, is that the idea that they were hybrids?
3: I—they didn't say. I didn't um, ask. I just knew that they didn't look okay. They yeah. didn't look normal. Mhm. Um these experiences were hard to integrate. I can't imagine why. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um I didn't I I wanted to not believe them. I you know, uh I wanted to think I was crazy anything <laughs> other than what it appeared to be.
2: So how how does an experience like that for example that one to the nursery. How does that begin? Were Were you uh, in bed sleeping, and they were ta- taken? Yeah, or were you,
3: all those you know? things, except for that drive,
2: mm-hmm. um,
3: pretty much took place with um, lucid dreaming.
2: Yeah, hmm. uh, yeah. Okay. There's a, another incident you told us about uh, that happened after a rock concert. Now that would be one where you were, you were awake uh, at that in that experience, weren't you? To, or what, or no, did you... actually. Oh, okay. What
3: happened, and this took place uh, up in, when I was working with Dr. Harder as well um, okay. in, in the North Bay area. And we were living um, between Vallejo and Napa at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I went to see a rock concert. Uh, it was an outdoor concert um, with... Um, Skid Row and Guns N' Roses,
4: mm-hmm. and
3: um, I had already seen Guns N' Roses a few times, and often Axel Rose could not perform because he wouldn't take his meds. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, that's the story, anyway. <laughs> um, and um, but that night he was in rare form. He he was uh, he was you know, his long red hair and he had a kilt on and he was adorable and all this. And, um, I, you know, I went home and then I went to bed and suddenly I'm wide awake in a vivid space. I was in a very vivid, it was vivid. And it's like, wait a minute. Oh no, not these things again. That's what I called them. I didn't Mm -hmm. like, and, um, there was, uh, I believe five of them around me at my feet and um, there was Axel Rose. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Among them. <laughs> <laughs> that is so weird.
3: Right. And here I am, like, you know, I'm screaming at them. I was cursing at them. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, this man is not a sane man. Why do you <laughs> have him here? <laughs> you know, I, I I mean, I'm not no insult to Axel. I love Guns N' Roses. It, it was just like this was not a coherent experience to me it was like (laughs) what are you doing and they're like well we thought you liked him and so that was kind of invasive to me you know like were they that was invasive it's like what the heck you know and i said no 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 and then all of a sudden shape shift and it was a gray
2: yeah that's that's fascinating uh that they could appear to you as this individual who they thought you liked because you're at his, uh, <laughs> and his, at concert. his concert. And Because that, that's kind of a, uh, an area that we've uh, talked about, especially with Whitley Strieber, who, who believes that uh, the visitors, as he calls them, can uh, appear in the same realm as the dead and that uh, people have described experiences where they're with the the greys and uh, a lost loved one appears. And the idea that Whitley sees this is is that they have this communion with the dead. But the other possibility is that they could pull these images from your mind, inside our minds, and uh, appear to be uh, that uh, that being so, that's that's another possible explanation. Maybe both are true. I
3: you know I've never had an experience with them with someone that has passed. Now uh-huh. I have had experiences with people who have passed, but not simultaneously or not mm-hmm. within. The context of okay. that, yeah. Hmm.
4: Um,
1: well, you were one of the first people when we start blogging in 2009, and I think it, by 2010, who had written to us about these symptoms you were having. And eventually, of course, these symptoms, Rob and I started collecting them and they became, you know, the symptoms of a planetary empath. So right. have you, are you still experiencing, do you still have experiences like
3: that? Physical symptoms? I do, but I will be honest, if things are so horrific,
4: mm-hmm.
3: it's like it never goes away.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: I okay. mean, now can it was
4: like.
2: Go can, ahead. You, can you tell the difference between your symptoms with the autoimmune disorders and with what uh, would be planetary uh, empathic yeah. experiences?
3: Definitely. Um, uh, for one thing, um, it's a left ear ring with different pitches that come before magnetic. Flux with the planet or solar storms and things like that and solar storms often precede um, earthquakes right. and things like that. Yeah. and so I, I speculate that it's magnetic fields that I hear which has inha- become a lot more enhanced since they got electrocuted um, <laughs> behind that same ear and um, oh, yeah that's true I can walk through a home and say, you know, your wiring's bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, Jeez. it's crazy.
4: Yeah. yeah. Uh,
3: but um, the other thing is, uh, there were visionary experiences that uh, started happening in the early 2000s that were really, uh, I would, uh, be out and about with my husband and just go into one of, the, one of these visions and he'd have to hold me up and get me out. Yeah, that into- happened to you in
1: 2004, right? Right. You had a really vivid. Benedict- Explain what happened when you were in the grocery store.
3: It wasn't the grocery store. It was actually a, a thrift store. Oh, a thrift
1: store, yeah.
3: Yeah, and I was standing at the counter looking into uh, what was in behind the glass and all of a sudden, I started to uh, uh, lose, um, like I was in a vortex, and I was grabbing the case, and I was seeing this tsunami that was engulfing uh, inland very far in a place. I, I never can know ahead of time where these things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I was seeing this whole uh, practically the whole country be wiped out by all this water and all these people dying and uh, animals dying. And it was just overwhelming. And I started to cry Um, and I didn't understand why this was happening. Now I do now know what happened and why it's happening, but um, I still can't predict where. And I don't have, any control over when and if i have the experiences uh, that was
1: the that was the tsunami it was the Fu- fukushima the earthquake 9.0 earthquake plus the tsunami that
3: one plus was oh. it was mantra. but at, from that point on i mean i saw fukushima i saw i mean i i and it's just i mean now that we the times we're in it's like on it's just constant, constant. constant. Did so, you have any
1: precursor to Corona,
3: like in January? I, no, I I had uh, visions in the mid two thousands, and I went to my llama, and I told him. What and I you mean said,
1: of, of the virus of the
3: pandemic, of something that was going to wipe out a lot of humanity. Hmm. and um, I didn't understand what it was going to be I just knew something horrific was going to happen
1: mm-hmm. and, um, I well describe I some of your symptoms, mind. the physical symptoms like the clicking in the ear, the heart palpitations oh,
3: for, the, for this thing it wasn't the clicking of the ear it was visionaries, completely visionary experiences yeah. Yeah. I was actually thrown out of my body and viewing things from above mm-hmm. and seeing like across the globe and uh, worldwide devastation and um, not understanding the cause,
4: mm-hmm.
3: that was all purely visionary. Mm. So
2: um, yeah, we've we've you know collected these stories for years from probably about a dozen people who more than that. have these physical experiences and knowing that it's going physical to go symptoms. physical yeah. symptoms that and knowing that it's going to <coughs> relate to some kind of devastation, either human. Uh, Man-made or natural. Yeah, right. Uh, like the, the terrorist attack in France. We, we had one just before that uh, with Connie Cannon giving us details. But again, she didn't know where it was. <laughs> but she saw right. you know, it. Oh. and even if you did it would be hard Who, who'd to believe you? yeah it would be hard to you could report it but you know you would be the one investigating yeah <laughs> you know.
3: right i yeah, like for example the fires up north here in california a couple of years ago um i had had a vivid dream that i was walking in um some part of society where everything was nothing but ash uh-huh. there was nothing left and um But I didn't know where it was going to happen. And then when they showed me the photographs, you know, on TV, I saw the photographs. I was like, that's what I saw.
4: Yeah. Yeah, it's
1: weird that um, it, it would seem to me that some science organization could take a group of planetary impasse and work with them so that they could learn okay, if you feel your face is on fire, maybe that means there's going to be a volcanic eruption somewhere. You know, in other words, recognize the symptoms first for the Whatever the catastrophe is, and then try to pinpoint the location.
2: But that would be difficult because people would have different people would have different uh, experiences. Maybe
3: they, make different
1: symptoms. Know, yeah, different uh-huh. symptoms. So that would be.
3: Uh, I I know that um, when I was working with Dr. Harder, that the remote viewing program was looking for recruits, and they wanted people who were sensitive or psychic. Mm-hmm. Um, but they would use it for their own ends, which would be. You know, we don't want to discuss what they did, but.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's go back to the early 1990s when you had some interactions with uh, Marina Popovich, the Russian test pilot uh, who became the first uh, uh, Russian woman to break the sound barrier. And she was a colonel in the Russian military. And that was an interesting experience that you were dealing with her because your husband was in the military. And uh, what was the result of that? How, how did that come about?
3: Yeah. Yeah, that was um my first husband and he he was um a fire control technician on a guided yeah. missile cruiser before, that, and he it was during the Gulf War.
4: Yeah.
3: And um but glass knots had just happened. So what, and there was supposed be
4: be blast, oh,
3: blast yeah. knots, right. and So there was supposed to be this <clears throat> new era and no more cold war and all this stuff.
4: Right. Yeah. So
3: the committee I was on at UC Berkeley decided to sponsor having Mer- Marina Pavlovich come over. And um, they, Russia had uh, photographs um, from Phobos 2, their satellite, that had been destroyed by this uh, cigar shaped ship. And they mm-hmm. had the photograph and they wanted to release the story over here at a press conference at the uh, the Russian consulate in San Francisco. Hmm. So she came over to represent that story and represent Russia and mm-hmm. um, at a convention. So I got to spend ten days with her, but I got harassed by the federal government terribly, and they threatened my daughter's life. Hmm. Um, Why? Yeah. They... Well, I it mean... was first started. With my husband coming home and saying, my captain told me to tell you that you have got to stop this this line of research. (laughs) I'm like, I have freedom of speech, you know, and um, and then it got worse. I got phone calls from higher ranking officials and they're like, you know, you have got to stop doing this. And I'm like, I have free speech. No, you don't. We take care of your medical care. We own your body. We own your daughter's body. We own your life. You cannot continue this.
1: You're, you're talking about the UFOs and alien stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Right. And I said, if there are, you know, your stance is there are no UFOs. So if there is no UFOs, what is your problem? That's exactly <laughs> what <I do>. Yeah.
4: <laughs> and there
3: was dead silence, you know, on the line. And I just hung up on them. I just wasn't going to have it. But the, in the end, we had to develop code words and, and um, the, the committee. We had to meet in person. We agreed on a code language. And we used that so we would divert them away from where we were actually doing anything. Hmm. Well, did they so,
1: harass uh, Marina?
3: They harassed everybody. All mm. of us were followed. Our cars were broken into. Our houses Jeez. were broken into. It was um, nasty. And um, they it was when tinted glass was illegal in California, and they were driving mm. around in these black cars with tinted glass. And mm. one time I thought, you know, I'm going to see if I can shake them. And I ran a red light to get onto the military base.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: They ran the red light right behind me.
4: Jeez. And
3: I showed my ID to get onto the military base. They get waved right on. Yeah. So I did. Oh, that's trouble
2: what was the name of that convention can you remember
3: the first soviet um u.s ufo
1: wow okay. first soviet what u.s ufo yeah. conference oh US. Wow. yeah hmm. and
3: and it happened on december 7th the actual conference itself okay. december seventh,
0: 1991.
3: pearl <coughs> harbor day yeah my birthday too Oh. And um <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it was funny you know we were celebrating my birthday at at lunch at the lunch break but um um Colin Andrews uh was there he brought all his information about the crop circles uh-huh. and he was a he was a delightful person but he lost everything because of his participation in all this
2: hmm. um what do you what do you mean lost everything did,
3: he lost his home. He lost his wife. Um, really? He was harassed. He was from England.
4: Yeah, his, really. home was,
3: yeah, his papers were taken. He ended up Jeez. moving here. Yeah, right. some of us were didn't fare so well <laughs> after this business. And there was uh, a man that came over from Glastonbury who was in a scene. And he participated as well. It was kind of interesting, the group of people, but there was only a committee of 12 of us. And during that time, we also had conferences, uh, phone conferences with uh, Betty Hill.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Right.
3: Hmm. Well,
1: I wonder, we we interviewed uh, Kathleen Martin, Betty's niece, and Mm -hmm. she was also the executor of Betty's estate. And I wonder Mm -hmm. if Betty left any notes about that.
3: About Dr. Harder. That uh, would uh-huh. be interesting too. Uh, I'll ask
1: her. Yeah. Be. That would be. She has all of those documents. Yeah, she very, has all uh, these documents.
3: Yeah. But the thing about Dr. Harder is he turned out not to be who he appeared to be. Wasn't he the one that Connie ended up in a spaceship with or something? No, that, that, was, that? Was, okay. a, that
2: was an astronaut. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. Uh <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> you never know. I mean, this stuff gets pretty weird. <laughs> I can't think of the name of the
2: of so,
3: either. so when we went to the, um, I was one of the only Americans invited to the Russian consulate for that uh, press conference. And then Moscow uh, had Marina award me um, a, ser- a little thing of medals, and I sent you photographs of that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, right. I yeah. have that. Mm-hmm. I sent you a copy of the the photo where they caught us laughing together, my daughter and I and her. God. That's some crime, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they, I mean, the Russians really felt that these things were real. I mean, their, their satellite was destroyed by the cigar-shaped mm. ship. And mm. it caught it. The Phobos photographed everything until the strike, and then it blew up, and that was the last transmission. Hmm. You know, it was a bunch of still, like, shutter shots. Shutter shot. Uh-huh. Um, your
1: husband, Larry, passed away several years ago. I mean, did he ever experience encounters, Ever? I mean, did he have experiences? Oh,
3: yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. The you? First, yeah. <laughs> that must have been weird for poor Larry.
3: <laughs> poor Larry. Uh, yeah, well, he knew I had abilities from the day he met me because uh-huh. I... Um, I had a visitation from his mother who had passed in 84. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was his first encounter with his strangeness with me. Um, Mm -hmm. But as far as the, the, you know, what we call aliens um, when we were at Berkeley, he would fly up like twice a year and visit us and stay in our home because I used to work with him down here in San Diego. We were often stationed back and forth and back and forth.
4: Mm -hmm. And
3: um, so he was my best friend, and um, mm. and we did a lot of things together. Um, so he flew up, and he was staying in our living room. And um, I got up one morning, and he looked like he was in shock. And he said, those things were here last night. And I said, what <laughs> things? And, and he, he cursed, expletive, those little gray expletive, expletive, <laughs> expletive, you know.
4: Uh-huh. and did they, he describe and what said, happened?
3: Yeah. He didn't tell me what happened. He just said they were there. He didn't like it. His eyes were popping out of his head. He he looked like he was in shock. And I said, I'm going to take care of this. And I finally, the next time I had an experience with them, I yelled at them. And I said, <laughs> never. You will never touch me, anyone I love, any household I live in, any of my pets, because they had taken one of my pets once. And I said, you will never. And they said, you know, this, this was a weird thing. They said, you guys, you humans smell bad when you're angry.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> like they, they look repulsed, like they step back and it's like you, you're emitting a stink, you know.
1: Jeez. <laughs> but
3: they never bothered me after that. So you haven't had any
1: productions
3: since then? Not, not like that, no. Mm-hmm. Not again. Yeah. So you have to ago? really say no. You have to be angry. Uh-huh. <laughs> you have to stink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you uh, have to raise a stink.
2: <laughs> right. Uh, how many years ago was your last experience the, of that nature?
3: It was, that was um, at UC Berkeley. It was around 90, 92. But mm. that didn't stop the government from keeping an eye on me. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So, In what way?
3: A woman. uh, I. It's a complicated story, um, (laughs) but I will say this: somebody who was supposed to be um, an instructor of Uranian astrology, you know, the Mm -hmm. German school of astrology, um, turned out to be uh, a handler. Mm. And you have to keep in mind I was a farm girl. All this stuff was so beyond the way my mind functioned.
4: Mm-hmm. You
3: know, I didn't understand why all this was happening. I thought we had freedom of speech. I believed in our constitution. <laughs> I am really very simple-minded. You know, but these things blew, blew the lid off for me on how our government functions and mm-hmm. what is, you know, there's all this hidden agendas and things like that but she wasn't an astrology teacher she knew astrology she was well, a what she So
1: she was a handler of what of the
3: beings no handler is somebody the government assigns to you to keep an eye on your behavior
1: oh that's interesting. they pretend
3: to be your friend they pretend mm, yeah. to be somebody who wants to be close to you
2: yeah we had somebody like that uh i won't say his name but uh whitley streber had the same person and then simultaneously the person vanished from his life and our life i mean he's still alive
3: <laughs> but- yeah i i looked her up um, she had posted a nasty uh birth chart of my daughter larissa and said that she was a curse oh my god and, uh, I know, and then um, last year, all record of her on the internet and anywhere had disappeared.
4: Hmm.
1: You but mean Larissa,
3: last... who who died? Right. Yeah. Okay.
1: Not your oldest one. No, Desiree
3: is still no. around. And okay. Hair color specialist. <laughs> 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 But again, so she knows, you know, the world's pretty weird around her, mm-hmm. too.
2: Since we mentioned these handlers, how much do you think that the government knows about uh, these beings?
3: Well, if we look at Project Blue Book and we look at um, some unusual things that Navy and Air Force pilots are experiencing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and it it really started happening... When we uh, split the atom, you know, when we, we dropped Trinity, that's when it really starting to get strong. Yeah, you're and starting so, to break up here. Yeah. Oh, it's not my phone, no. Let me it's try to it. it's to the, it's the aliens. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's the aliens or the handlers or yeah, we just blame whoever them. they are. It's I think that uh, when we started messing around with the atom bomb, that's when things got really kind of weird right. for us with, uh, you know, alien abductions and that sort of thing. Not that things didn't happen prior to that, because there is historical precedent, and there's a lot of parallels between UFO abductions and fairy abductions. If you read the historical records.
4: Right. Mm-hmm.
2: <clears throat> Yeah, wow. we, we had uh, some, we took our honeymoon trip to uh, Chiloé, Chile, which is a little island off the southern coast of Chile, and they have a legend, a myth about um, uh, ghost ships out there, and the ghost ships have men in black who come ashore. And, a lot of perils. and they 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 come and vanish, and uh, it, there are just so many perils And and uh, they abduct people, and they take them away. And some people have come back. Like one man came back, like forty-five, fifty years later. He was a kid when he was taken, about seventeen, eighteen, and then came back as an old man with this. He was not well. Yeah, mark on his chest oh. like a, a large, like the impression of a large hand on his chest. Just uh, and he would not talk about what happened to him after all those years, <clears throat> and that was just one of the stories. And uh, so, that, yeah, there, if you look at the myths and the uh, legends, there's there's some parallels there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Also,
3: there. Yeah, there, all cultures have some stories of some sort yeah. of this. But
1: well, on Chile we they have- also believe, they also believe in mermaids, True. which are kind <clears> of <throat> like fairies, and you know.
3: Well, they believe in mermaids in Ireland, too. Yeah, that's
1: true.
3: (laughs) Scotland and Wales.
2: Different types of creatures. It seems like the government, uh, from our experience, uh, has uh, different agencies know different bits of information, but they may be holding on to what they know and they want to find out what the others know. And we say that because when we put up a series of stories on our blog related to a, uh, a couple in uh rural uh Quebec about 45 minutes outside Montreal and their stories with an encounter <clears throat> which became part of our book Aliens in the Backyard uh we were just inundated by all these different uh, intelligence agencies coming to our blog and we were able to look up uh, check who is coming so we got all these names and uh, in- including the Canadian Mounted Police Royal Canadian. Uh, yeah, Royal Canadian Mounted Police they were there for eight, eight hours one day so that had to be an assignment it wasn't just somebody you know uh, uh, sitting there and looking around on the internet they you know they get fired if they spend eight hours looking <laughs> at uh, our blog but uh, uh, I always had the impression of uh, uh, cops on horses chasing UFOs when I thought of them. But uh, the, the, the man uh, from Montreal said, no, they're like the FBI. They're not on horses. <laughs> no,
3: they're not. No, and where I grew up in upstate New York, the nearest city was actually Montreal.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: That was yeah.
4: the area I, right. yeah. I
3: had never been there.
5: Hey, it kind of along the lines of what the government knows and what the different entities know. And if Deborah, if, you, if I'll just say in your neck of the woods earlier this year, or I, I believe it was earlier this year when the footage of the Navy file, uh, the Navy uh, pilots uh, uh, filming the Tic Tac mm-hmm. UFOs, uh, do you mm-hmm. have any thoughts on that since that's? Kind of there in
3: your... Well, I looked at the footage, and um, they said the, the ships were very tiny. Uh, and, of course, they darted around and did maneuvers that are impossible and impossible yeah. fast. Of course, it shook up the pilot. I was listening to some of the transmission between them. It, it, it was leaked, but now they're declassified as of last week. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, which is kind of new, having things declassified so quickly. <laughs> um, so, I definitely think there's something going on, but I don't think um, our agencies even have a handle on what it is. I mean, right. obviously, they control something that moves that fast or shape shift or any of these things. Mm. So, I think yeah. that they don't like that they can't be in control or that Mm -hmm. we don't have a way of roping whatever this is in, or even, um, you know, trying to build such things, you know, we don't have that capability, thank goodness. And if there Mm -hmm. is a life out there watching us, let's hope they stay away from us.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really. So, um, yeah. maybe for a last question, what is it that, uh what what you you've called them uh aliens and you call them things and uh <laughs> Whitley Strieber has called them visitors what do you think they are you got and have any impression of uh you know where they're from or what they are if they're interdimensional i
3: i've become a little more broader in my perspective and in long talks with um the Lama and the sufis and um They pretty much have this perspective that whatever it is, just don't uh, grasp onto it with your Mm -hmm. mind and just allow it to be and um, don't uh, react with fear. Um, Uh, Things have been going on a very long time on the planet as far as they're concerned. Um, mm -hmm. And some of them they view as helpful and um, they don't say, oh, they're from another planet. They don't say Mm -hmm. that. Mm-hmm. You know, they just say, you know, they're, some of them are protectors. You know, some of them are guides. Some of them are interdimensional doorway protectors.
4: Uh, R- the right. Yeah. In
3: the, yeah, the Yeti is a, a protector in the Tibetan realm.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so um, I think that unless humanity integrates the 80% of the brain that they're not using, and doesn't and and until they can treat the planet the way it should be treated, um, I think we're going to have these terrors.
4: Mm-hmm. I think
3: we have we have to do some integration before it appears to us clearly as it really is.
4: Hmm.
3: And I know that's <clears throat> not like a solid answer, but that's my conclusion at this point. But I as I grow so. So, does my perspective. Yeah.
1: Uh, one of my friends said, Well, did I think that the aliens or visitors, whatever you want to call them, had anything to do with COVID? What do you think? Uh,
3: that's a hard one. I mean, yeah. I've gone through so many theories on that.
4: Hmm.
3: Um, I can't imagine that. I, I, I ha- actually have no comment. <laughs> Right. very intelligent thing to it, say i yeah, sorry
2: right. it was seemed to me that the these beings if they're on the planet they would be more susceptible to our various diseases uh you know in the first place uh rather and would uh probably not would avoid creating more of them uh you know because just like uh when uh Europeans came to America, uh, Native Americans uh, basically were wiped out uh, by European diseases, viruses.
3: Right, and, and look what, you know, Europeans did to the Native Americans. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh,
2: does your llama have any comment on uh, the, uh, the virus and what the meaning of it is or anyone from... Uh, My,
3: uh, Sadly, my mama passed away in Ah. 2010. But I am still part of a network of worldwide uh, Tibetan Buddhist practitioners. And right now, we've been all handed a handbook on um, mantras, which they consider these sounds to have healing vibrations. Mm. uh, To practice every day on behalf of the world and it's going on all around the world all the time. Ah. Mm -hmm. So they believe in this ancient sound technology and um, it uh, comes from Sanskrit, actually, Mm
4: -hmm. which
3: is considered a sacred language. Right. Uh, Yeah. So there's these mantra vibrations that um, they're um, doing to help humanity, you know, and all beings because they're even discovering that house cats can carry the virus now.
2: Mm-hmm. The what? Yeah. House, house cats.
3: House cats. God. Can carry it. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they give it to us. They haven't had yeah. any proof of that. Right. Yeah. Oh. So we can all only hope that, you know. Yeah, we have three cats here today. <laughs> yeah. And there's two here where I'm at. Yeah. And I have, I have my, um, my late husband's cat, she's been with me all back and forth across the country, the oh, poor aw. thing. <laughs> she's 12 years old. But, um, she, she's right in front of me right now. Uh-huh.
2: She yeah. knows you're talking about her. We have uh-huh. our golden retriever right at our feet.
3: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we all need our pets. They're yeah, onions. we do. But, uh, yeah, so um, the commentary from the Tibetan realm is that um, there is a being... That, you know they have words for what this is, and there's a being that that is uh, somewhat responsible for the nature of this. It isn't like it attacked us or anything. It's a collective mm-hmm. mind virus, let's say, that mm-hmm. sort of feeds into what's happening, and so right. we're trying to dissipate it with this sound vibration.
2: Great. So, in a sense, the virus is co- is a form of consciousness.
3: Well, everything uh, there- is. But everything's mind. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's all mind and we don't understand mind or the nature of mind at all. Humanity mm-hmm. has not got a grasp on the human mind. And I think the indigenous cultures of old had more of a grasp than yeah, we do. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: Thank you very much,
1: Deborah. Yeah, this has been great, Deborah.
4: Thanks
3: well thank you on. for uh, asking me. Thank
1: and uh, when when we whenever we put it up I'll we'll send you a link. So okay. you can So you can listen to yourself. <laughs> Send it to oh others. my. Oh my
4: <laughs>
1: Anyway. You make so everything
3: you st- enjoyable.
1: Thank you, Trish and Rob. Oh listen, well, you. you stay well and stay in touch. And you
3: too. You oh, too. Okay. Be- take care. Bye bye.
5: Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. Thanks.
3: Thank you. Bye bye.
0: Thanks for listening to The Mystical Underground. Listen to the podcast at www.themysticalunderground.com. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The TheMysticCast. Visit the blog, blog blog.synchrosecrets.com Visit the book site, phenomena111.com Send us email, podcast at themysticalunderground.com And until next week, thank you for listening, and stay mystical.
5: I think there was a lot going on in that conversation. It's going to take more than one listen for anybody. I'm still still not even sure about half the stuff that y'all were were talking about, but I, (laughs) I think it was all there. I just yeah. got to go back and listen yeah. to Yeah, Trish,
2: you know? Trish kind of did some shorthand talking about the, the the planetary impasse. If you didn't know what that was, you, you'd be kind of <laughs> lost. That, yeah, that's, that's why true. I was trying to get into there, saying yeah. what this is about, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.